Digital Marketing Radio, episode 221. How to optimize your Facebook ads. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page, this is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous shows at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The big interview with David Bain. Hello, I'm David Bain, and today I'm joined by two marketing veterans who have joined together to create a VC-backed Facebook-first performance marketing agency and ad tech hybrid. Welcome to DMR, Peter Rutino and Jeff Goldenberg. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for coming on, gents. Um, well, you can find these chaps over at abacus.agency. Um, so I'm just going to fire questions here and see who answers first. I'm not sure <laughs> who, who that's going to be, so let's go for it. Um, so for the first thing I'm going to ask is, why Facebook advertising? You want to start? Okay. <laughs> um, that's all, it's always the first. <laughs> who's going to jump up first? Okay, so um, I've been uh, using Facebook advertising for um, startup user acquisition for a long time now. My startup before Abacus was called Borowell, and it was like a, an online lending platform. And we used Facebook um, extensively to, to find new customers and to retarget to existing ones. So um, working with Facebook Canada on, on this account, I got to really understand what's needed to get, uh, to get Facebook ads to perform and how to basically win the auction that goes on millions, if not billions of times a minute uh, to figure out who gets what ad at what time. So really got fascinated with Facebook ads working on that project and wanted to basically create an, an agency, although we're not even super comfortable with that term, but to create an entity that's just working on amazing Facebook growth projects all day long and can basically become a, a think tank for acquiring on Facebook and understanding the emotions and the tricks and the ta- tactics and strategies uh, that winning companies use to acquire on that platform. Great. I, I should say that it says for viewers of the video rather than audio consumers, it says Peter and Jeff on the screen, but it's actually <laughs> Jeff and Peter, really. <laughs> so, um, Peter, I'll, I'll, I'll sure. fire the next question at you, and um, that is, what is your second favorite uh, online advertising network? And don't say Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, my background is in, uh, I, I really kind of cut my teeth in Google advertising. So I had an agency previously that was kind of full service digital marketing agency. Um, after we sold that, that's when we kind of decided to pivot and um, join forces with Jeff. And we got to kind of kind of wanted to go the opposite angle to the full service model and go um, specialist, which is why we kind of chose Facebook. But the, the full service agency previously, we said we we're full service, but really we, we kind of honed in on search marketing, doing search marketing really, really, really well. So I'll say my second favorite um, would be Google because I've got the most experience and I know it works really well. So Google AdWords. Ah, oh, great. Okay. I was, I wondered if you were going to sneak out of that question there as well, and I was going to come back to it as well. No, but, uh, always ask the question you want well. to answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so uh, two politicians here. <laughs> um, so uh, obviously what we're zeroing in on, on Facebook is you know, part of this conversation, obviously, because that, that's what your primary focus in uh, is yourselves. Um, so, but in terms of setting up a new campaign on Facebook, could, could you perhaps talk us through a few steps that you actually take that perhaps might be a little bit different compared with other people out there? Yeah, I mean, I think we probably do a lot of the things that other people do, but we prioritize different things differently. Um, 
the first thing we want to think about is is what is the value proposition and who are the, the target buying personas. We want to know specifically who we think we have the best chance of selling to, not a broad group like 24 to 54 females, which everyone knows there's hundreds of segments within that group that have nothing to do with one another. So the first thing we like to think about is what are the exact personas we're trying to target and what is a Facebook targeting strategy to match those personas? How are we going to proxy for those personas or user behaviors online? And actually, depending on what country we operate in, there's different things we can do. For example, the United States has much tougher, uh, much lenient um, privacy laws compared to Canada. So we actually have a lot of options in the States that we don't have in Canada. The next thing we do, and I think this is what dif- distinguishes us as a performance Facebook uh, agency, is that we try to determine what digital conversions we're going to optimize for and then put what's called the Facebook pixel onto those conversions. So basically, if you're going to, let's think of a lead. If someone's objective is to get the cheapest leads possible, we put the pixel on the, the confirm button or the thank you page of the lead form, and we can now attribute which lead form conversions were driven by which campaigns and at what cost. And what that does is it basically gives us a common denominator to all the things that we do. If it's this cost per lead, we'll measure the cost per lead against different campaigns, and we'll optimize towards the ones that produce the best result. That's done by using the tracking pixel or or the SDK if you're doing a mobile app. Then we'll start thinking about creative. And with creative, we don't want one idea that we test 50,000 different ways. We'd like five or six totally different ways of eliciting an emotion and a behavior with these people, and we want to test them against one another. So we start running things that look more like scientific tests than art projects to figure out which campaigns and which... um, messaging works the best for each group so that's that's the bit that we see people get wrong quite a bit especially large brands is that they treat facebook and other platforms as distribution for a core message or a a core piece of creative that they they've come up with instead of treating facebook like its own native platform to tell native stories um, and to create a creative that's suited to that platform specifically so say video for example you know vertical video works way better on facebook than horizontal video for example or um, if you're creating video you you want to create nice punch kind of videos with messaging that flashes up in vertical format um, that kind of gets to the point very fast and is very engaging right away because you've got to stop people's thumb so are you targeting people on their mobile devices then by um, saying vertical video and saying thumbs yeah, so way, a way higher percentage of people are ingesting Facebook on mobile than on desktop. In fact, in the 18 to 34 demographic, which is a pretty key demographic to just about everyone, um, close to half of the people, 47%, never use Facebook online, like never use it on desktop. So where even three years ago, you wouldn't sacrifice the desktop experience for the mobile viewers. It's the exact opposite now. You don't want to sacrifice the mobile experience for the desktop users. And a lot of people are having an incredible amount of trouble coming to grips with this because they still see life in a vertical world. If you want the content to be native to vertical phones, you need to make vertical content. Instagram is a vertical or at least a one-by-one medium. So you see all these trends towards people ingesting content on vertical. And we deal with creative directors all the time. They understand that everyone's ingesting content through uh, mobile and that it makes sense to be vertical. They just can't wrap their head around it because their tricks and their tactics and their, you know, everything they do to create vertical video is, a horizontal video is different. So 
we're, we're crusaders for vertical video and we have case studies to show how it works better. And this mobile thing is not going away. It's, it's you know, look on the street and tell me if there's ever been sort of a consumer behavior um, revolution the same as mobile phones. I don't think you'd find one. So what actual size then do you produce vertical video in? Is it 16 by 9, but vertically? I like 9 by 16, um, which is the opposite of 16 by 9. But if you're, um, yeah. there's two things you can do. The one thing that we've had one client do is produce horizontal and vertical, and then we can segment the ad sets by um, device type and serve the right to both. Obviously, that's great because then the desktop guys get a, a native experience and the mobile guys get the no, mobile native experience, excuse me. The other thing is uh, one by one. So if you want some something that looks fairly decent on both desktop and mobile, one by one's pretty good. And it also works well with Instagram, which is one by one mainly. But it's not even the, the video itself, like the ad unit itself um, with a vertical video on a mobile phone takes up about 130% of the screen. Whereas the thumbnail for a horizontal video on a, on a vertical device takes up, I don't know, maybe 20, 25% of the screen. I've had people ask me if, if yeah. it, it, that unit must cost more. And the funny thing is they actually typically cost less. Um, so, you know, everyone knows the world's changed. It's just a matter of them getting to start to look at it through the new lens and not the old lens. And I feel like that's where people are a little bit slow is making these fundamental shifts that, you know, even two years ago were different. More recently, we've actually seen mobile screen resolutions change to two to one. So do you think that in the future you'll be making videos which are one to two format? Yeah, whatever people use is what mm. we're going to have to produce for if we want it to look as good as it can. And that's something we'll just have to keep monitoring. But the switch from like... And you started off obviously by... I was just going to say the difference between six, nine by 16 and, and one by two wouldn't be huge. So you'd probably be able to yeah. effectively use both... Um, aspect ratios in the same ad units. And you started off, obviously, by saying, talking about buyer personas. Is that something that you develop off Facebook, or are there tools in Facebook that you use to evolve those personas before starting your campaigns? Right. Well, I've spent a lot of time, probably 15 years, and so has Pete, working with startups. And when startups launch, they don't know what their personas are. It's 100% hypothetical. Um, when a company is established and they have years and years of data, they can kind of know who their target market is by looking at the data. So that's the tra that's the transition. You start with a guess of who would get the most value out of your value proposition. And as the data comes in, it's a living, breathing thing, and you adjust it. You're like, oh, we were really right about that one, but we were totally off about that one. And what changes often is not that you guessed the wrong person, just that the segmentation um, variable might change. So it's like... We thought we should split them on use case, but what we should have done was split them on geography because of X, Y, or Z, or, or, or reverse. So um, you start with a best guess. The way we do that is like, let's think of a whole ton of segments or use cases, and let's rate them on a scale of 100, how much value, value they get out of our value proposition. Let's see who scores 80 and above and try to figure out what they have in common. Um, you know, what we'll talk about later is a strategy called nail a niche, which is if you're launching something new, it's really important you hit a home run with a small group and then expand from there, then try to be everything to everyone because the marketing gets too diluted. So that's something I think we'll talk about later on. Um, but that's why the personas is really important. You want to find that one beachhead that needs the product and gets a ton of value and is going to buy it, doesn't mind paying, and will sing your praises to other potential clients. So what about in terms of call to action? Because you mentioned that Facebook is a medium where people need to be thinking about sharing a story. 
So when you're sharing a story, how do you actually incorporate a call to action as part of that? So um, we think about it phase specific. We think of the top of the funnel, the mid middle of the funnel, and the bottom of the funnel. And we think about one of the things that's amazing about Facebook is it lets you directly connect those different stages together into integrated campaigns. Not integrated across multiple channels, but integrated within the same channel. So if we think of the top of the funnel, we think of problems and solutions that our users going to need to trust us and to convince them that A, they have the problem that we think they have and B, that we're the right ones to solve it. So the top of the funnel, what do I need? Yeah, awareness. They didn't know we existed. They might have had the problem but not known it was one that they should be solving. So we really focus on explaining what we're all about. At the middle, we call it uh, the middle of the funnel. We call it demand generation, which is exactly what it sounds like. We're going to use features and testimonials and social proof to build demand for the solution we created to the problem that we were talking about. So that's what do I need it? Why do I need it from you specifically? Consideration yeah. and preference. And, and where's the value? Is there value? And then people who have interacted with the, the top of the funnel and the middle of the funnel are now ready to be sold to. So now you can come in with heavy CTA, direct response type stuff. And the number one reason people say Facebook doesn't work is because they come in with their direct response to a cold audience that might not even know about them, and that's not the right way to do it. Um, if they're searching on Google and the intent is so close to the surface that all they need is to be nudged in one direction or another, that's one thing. Maybe the first time they find you, they can buy. But on Facebook, there's no intent. They didn't log in to be advertised to or to solve a problem. They logged in to keep in touch with family and friends. And that it, we insist that that needs to be handled specifically. It's not the same. So are you saying on Facebook, you should only ever have direct call to action ads to people who have previously interacted with your content? It's a bit of an overstatement because, I mean, you could have call to action ads retargeting people that have been to specific pages on your website or interacted with your emails or your mobile app. So there's lots of times you would do it. But I think you'll find that if you're measuring a bottom of the funnel result, like a CPA, a cost per acquisition, or a cost per sale or a cost per lead, you're going to do better by, by using an integrated campaign than a straight direct response campaign, unless your product is so good or your value proposition is so strong that... Um, it, it speaks for itself, but that's few and far between. So what about costs for advertising on Facebook nowadays? It seems like many people, many agencies are recommending Facebook as, 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 a, as a great place to be on from a marketing perspective nowadays. Does that not mean then that the costs for having advertising campaigns are a lot higher than they were a couple of years ago? And do you foresee costs to get a lot higher in the future? I mean, I think that's inevitable. So the same thing happened with, with Google. Uh, to start with, you can get incredibly cheap cost per clicks. And then as more and more people come onto the platform, the um, demand goes up, cost goes up. Same thing with Facebook, more and more people coming on using the auction. Um, you just have to be better and smarter with your, your marketing. And then in terms of how much you spend, you just need to work it into your financial model. So everything we do is geared towards um, hitting our clients' kind of main KPIs. So let's say if it's a B2B startup or something like that, you know, we'll work with them to, you know, they might know, but what, what the lifetime value of the customer is, what they can afford to pay per acquisition, and then we work the campaign back from there. So the, the target goal is hitting that CPA. Um, so as so long as we can get within at that CPA or within that CPA, it's good and we can build a sustainable growth engine from there.
the expense comes if you're not tracking at the bottom of the funnel right. and you're just spending. Because if you're just spending on awareness and amplification, that price is going to go through the roof and you're going to get even less. Hmm. If you're measuring at the bottom of the funnel, something that I know if I get more X, it's going to lead to more revenue, then as long as you're within the envelope of where that number needs to be, um, the auction will work in your favor. But it's definitely getting more competitive. The days where you can just set and forget are gone. We have to run experiment after experiment and after experiment in a very disciplined way to unlock the kind of growth that our clients expect. So it is a very different market. Mm -hmm. So what kind of Facebook campaigns do you just see that you haven't set up yourself, that someone else has set up, that you're just look at and you think, well, they're doing that wrong? What are the most common things that you see people doing wrong? I mean, it's either open, we see incredibly complicated campaigns that need to be simplified or incredibly basic campaigns that need to um, take a step up. And within that, there are just a myriad of things that, that people do wrong. So a classic example could be, you know, we're taking on a startup and they're not spending very much. Um, so there's a, a face, Facebook's algorithm works off, say, if you're optimizing for conversions, you need a certain amount of conversions to make that auto-optimizer work. I think it's 25 a week, right, on, a, on every ad set. So if you're not spending enough to hit those conversions, Facebook just hasn't got the data to auto-optimize, and you get, you're going to struggle. So what we do is push it back to link clicks, optimize for link clicks, and then once we've got enough data on that, we can push it back to conversions. Talking about Facebook, um, we're um, broadcasting this live on Facebook, of course. Um, most people will be consuming this as an audio podcast, but we've got uh, Kat, Michael, Amanda, and Amelia that have liked it. Um, so um, we've um, you're obviously sharing some some good things there as well. If you guys want to leave any comments or any questions at all, then we'll try and uh, review that um, as, while we're on here and uh, perhaps cover that a little bit uh, later in our conversation here as well. Um, but you know, just um, maybe wrapping up the conversation about Facebook here, um, what is the future um, for Facebook ads? Are there some significant changes coming down the pike that we're, we're going to see that, um, that most people aren't aware of? This is literally Jeff's favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot. Facebook is, uh, doesn't get the credit for being as innovative as they are with their ad products, both in terms of benefiting the advertiser and not um, at the expense of the user. Because if their users die off, then the advertising decreases too. Um, there's going to be ads inside of Instant Messenger. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. Not Instant Messenger. I'm showing my age. That's an <laughs> AOL product. Uh, Facebook Messenger. <laughs> there's going to be ads inside Facebook Messenger very soon. It's already being beta tested. So that's interesting. They're, sorry. They're doing uh, location tracking, physical store tracking, which is coming out pretty soon. I think I did an article about that um, yesterday. Um, but soon you'll be able to track from people seeing an ad to actually walking in your physical source, so say your Nordstrom or something like that. You can show ads and then see whether people have walked in based on the GPS data in the phone. Kind of in the near future, in a like five-year window, we'll be seeing you know Facebook TV and kind of buying on TV, buying on Facebook for TV and things like that. I mean, there's a whole slew of things coming down like that. Yeah, Facebook just expanded the audience network to include mobile devices and apps. So now you can buy native app placement inside of apps through the Facebook audience network the same way you could buy through Google. So we're running some experiments to see how that media converts. Um, we're always thinking about new creative because creative really is the piece that's the biggest X factor. Um, if an average Facebook ad has a click-through rate of, like let's say, 0.6%, you're going to get a really average result, but if you can figure out how to get two or three percent 
of the people that click on your Facebook, your 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 cost per are gonna are gonna fly. So we're thinking all the times about like what's working now in terms of ad types. Uh, is it video or static um, collections and, and dynamic ads? So you can have your ads um, change copy and images based on where people are. So someone in Detroit gets a different ad than someone in Los Angeles. Um, there's all the stuff with the dynamic product feeds, which I'm sure you've seen, where an e-commerce uh, store can upload their feed and then can retarget visitors with very specific ads, either the product that they didn't buy or related products to it. And those have been incredibly successful. Um, I think in the immediate future, marketers need to figure out how to handle mobile because so many of these shopping decisions are being made on mobile, both in-store and just anywhere. So, um, going from a mentality of like search, which is like I'm looking for this, to more of a mentality that I'm always a potential purchaser. I'm always discovering new things. It's not only when I go shopping or search for something am I consuming and discovering. It's all the time now. And that's a different mindset. And what about other social networks? I mean, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, perhaps someone else. Is there any network that is going to become interesting from an advertising perspective over the next few years, do you think? No. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, You're not a politician. Yeah. You can answer in one word. <laughs> currently, um, currently, one in roughly four minutes on a mobile phone in North America is spent inside a Facebook product. So 25% of mobile use time is in Facebook, Instagram, Insta uh, Facebook Messenger, or WhatsApp. So um, that's equal to the 10 next most popular apps combined. So how much bigger, like Facebook is mobile. Facebook and Instagram are mobile. When you think mobile advertising, it's basically Facebook mobile video advertising at scale. So, you know, at some point there will be something that, gets people's attention and um, it'll contend. But I mean, Facebook's ad products are a long time in the making. Snap is doing stuff now, but you know, their, their ad products are way less mature than Facebook because they haven't had as much time. So things will pop up, but keep in mind, it wasn't two years ago where Instagram was its own platform. It challenged Facebook. They bought it for a billion dollars, integrated the front end that people were interested in with the back end advertiser targeting. And now you've got a $35 billion company. So, um, Facebook has the means to develop or acquire sort of whatever becomes popular on the front end, which is a little bit of um, defense against other social networks just taking over. But you never know what will happen. I and mean, we were talking in the middle of August 2017 and Snap shares have taken a bit of a pummeling over the last few weeks. It's now at about $11 a share or something like that. Um, do you have any concerns about the, the the future of Snapchat? Do you think that it, it will evolve um, successfully as a business by itself? Or do you think it may be bought by someone else potentially? I mean, it was gaining ground. Um Last year, uh, I know you know it's always been popular in the millennial demographic. It was starting to take the older demographic, and then Instagram slash Facebook released their new feature, which was essentially Snapchat, um, and that demographic yeah. dropped off. Um, from the kind of the research that I look at and the people that I talk to, it's 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 losing ground. Um, they are you know rapidly trying to innovate and produce better ad products that advertisers can use. Um, but in terms of user base, I just I just don't see there being a threat 
Yeah, it's 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 obviously not a question you can have a def- definitive answer no. to, but it's interesting to hear your perspective on things, certainly. So thank you for that. I mean, I think if you're if you're if you're marketing to the millennial demographic, it's definitely something you want in your your mix. There's no doubt that the attention graph spikes up for um, Snapchat. It's just you know what the utility of advertising on that platform. They're also targeting very high dollar advertisers, so mm-hmm. it's not a mass platform yet. Um, it's quite expensive and the commitments are relatively large. What's great about Facebook is you can run experiments for next to no money and and look for areas to double down and scale, um, which I don't think is really available on Snap. But they're an early company. They're somewhat very well capitalized. I'm sure they have smart people. They'll find their space. I just don't think you come to the social media battle with a solution that can be imitated by the big guys because – as we saw, a lot of people moved over to Instagram because their friends were on it already. Okay, well, in a moment, we're going to be moving to the second part of a conversation where I'll be asking Peter and Jeff about the software that they couldn't live without. But first of all, uh, dear viewer, dear listener, have you purchased your copy of Digital Marketing in 2017, the book yet? That is 107 digital marketers, all in one book, sharing their number one actionable tip for the year. You can find out all about it over at digitalmarketingin2017.com. But let us segue into the second part of our discussion. So that focuses on Peter and Jeff's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So, gents, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? So we have a pretty big stack of tools in the company. I'd say the two most important ones are we use workplace facebook workplace um so that's their internal uh, no surprise surprise um so that's their internal kind of um management tool so all of the team are on there it's the chat tool we have our um various different groups like the creative ideas group the optimizations group we have our advisory board in there giving us advice um, so it's a great tool kind of central hub tying everybody together and then the second one, pretty pretty standard, Google Docs. It just we do everything in in Google Docs. Um, all of our, you know, Word, Excel, spreadsheets, um, all of our higher, you know, account hierarchies. Everything's in there. We pull our reports from there. So it's just a super useful tool. Um, I would say third place runner up would be our project management system. So that's DePulse. I've tried um, every task management and project management system in the last seven years in the agency world and this has kind of been the nicest in terms of visuals and and workflow and simplicity so it's got a good uh everybody in the company uses it's got a good adoption rate great to pulse i don't think i have heard of that one before how how do you actually spell that just to make sure i can find it and link to it okay d-a-p-l-u-s-e U-L-S-E. Yeah. D-A-P-U-L-S-E. Yeah. Okay. Da-plus. da pulse It's like the pulse, but da pulse for some reason. We like to call it DP internally. I think that maybe that was just a deliberate misspelling just to completely get <laughs> uh, Okay, um, Jeff, I'll ask you the slightly more challenging question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? That's a tough one. Um, we, uh, we're looking at what AI and machine learning can do for advertising. I mean, obviously, there's a, a ton of AI in, in Facebook's platform as is. Um, but there's a whole startup world now around AI and, and data startups that um, 
that are coming on board and we're really curious to see how they work and test them out in the field. Um, so one of the, one of the companies, um, they're local in Toronto, they're called zoom.ai and it's, um, it's like an AI driven, um, art, uh, what would you call it? Like automated assistant. An assistant. Yeah. So I'd like to see, um, I'd like to try some of those tools and see if I can't streamline some of my routine processes to get a little more organized. Do you think it's worthwhile many businesses considering building their own chatbot? So there's two types of chatbots. There's chatbots that are sort of like decision tree based where you could literally make them yourself and launch them. And I'm a huge proponent of those. And then there's chatbots that are going to be expected to learn and get better. And those ones are, are much more complex. So when I was at Borowell, that online lending company, we launched a chatbot for customer service because we realized that 20, 80, 80% of the questions were the same 20% questions and that we could detect if someone has rate or rates in the, in the question, that they're probably looking for information on our rates and could really easily send them to a, a rate comparison page and a calculator and stuff like that. Okay, so so um, I definitely think people should experiment with them. I, I think they're amazing. It's a great way to interact with a company. It sounds like then if you're a company that have a big list of FEQs that are current, that are quite commonly asked, then that's possibly quite a good use of a chatbot. Yeah, it's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sephora has one that we heard about at a conference where like you can take a picture of a dress you're buying and the chatbot will send you back like the top 10 lipstick colors that'll match that dress. Like that, that wouldn't be an, an easy program to build. Um, but if you were just trying to automate um, FAQ, you could do it. Um, sorry. And even if you have a step where like the questions you don't answer go to someone live, the amount of resources and the number of live as- attendants that you would need if you could take out the 80-20 questions is huge. So I know people are trying to get fancy, but like customer service, like let's not skip over the basic stuff because the other stuff sounds cool. If you have a lot of people asking questions that could be answered by a bot, then why not? Yeah, I'm seeing more and more. It's probably a Shopify plugin or something, but um, e-commerce stores integrating direct with um, Facebook Messenger. I just ordered a T-shirt a couple of weeks ago, and they sent me all my updates through um, Facebook Messenger. And then if I typed in, you know, what's when, what, what's happened to my package? Where's my package? It would kind of recognize the keywords and send me an update through that. And those are just small stores, so um, super easy and to integrate. And keep in mind, in China, like so much gets transacted over chat con- mm-hmm. uh, compared to here. So even though North America is typically like the tech leader and the user behavior leader that gets um, copied elsewhere, like that doesn't mean it has to always be. And maybe that's the roadmap is that we're going to do a lot more transacting versus chat interface than, than we think. And I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, lots of changes happening, but I'm sure even more are going to happen over the next couple of years. It's an exciting time. Mm-hmm. It is. I'll include the the links to your software recommendations in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Okay, so the first... I was in sales when I was, uh, when I was, in, when I was younger and I took a product for the company I was working for and um, started to sell it. On 100% commission, I, I took it over to uh, Australia, and I had to, as well as do the sales for it, I had to to market the product, and I was did all sorts of things like uh, PPC and um, tried to do SEO. And um, with PPC, it was you know I, I spent a lot of money, um, didn't do it so well, um, had no idea what I was doing. But I 
hacked my way to be able to do it, but I spent a lot of money in that um, in that period. So I wish I'd accelerated that maybe by um, doing certifications, um, you know, the AdWords certification instead of just spending money to learn. I still really like the process of how I learned. I thought it was a great way to, to learn AdWords by spending real money and marketing a real product. Um, but I probably could have split, spent a lot less money if I had gone through the certifications and things like that. What about yourself, Jeff? I think overall, um, I would have approached it more scientifically earlier on. Like I realized later on that there's so many tools to allow you to test your hypotheses cheaply and quickly before investing deeper in them. And that the smart thing to do is to find out whether you're right as cheaply and quickly and then pivot if you're not. So I think I, I wish I would have understood the scientific process to building a startup earlier in my career. The other thing is like startup founders and marketers think they got to get a million things to work. And the fact of the matter is they need to get one thing to work really well. And the number one reason they're going to fail is because they don't get one thing to work, not that they didn't get seven things to work. So now we look more at a process where we figure out a, a number of hypotheses, we go through them scientifically, and then we double down on the areas that are successful, and that's how you how we grow quickly. Um, so it really is a process that I wish I had more understanding of earlier on. Great thoughts. Thank you. I see Michael Fleischner is uh, watching live on Facebook. Hello, Michael. Good to see you Hello, there. Michael. But let us move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. So 10 quick questions. This is going to be Interesting with both of you on this, but um, let's see how it goes. So just, <laughs> uh, two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm scared. All set. Nervous. Okay. Twitter or Snapchat? Twitter. Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? Facebook. Facebook. YouTube or Facebook Live? Facebook Live. I'll say YouTube based on how much I watch. Mobile or desktop? Mobile. Mobile. <laughs> website or app? Uh, website. Website. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Paid search. <laughs> Outreach or advertise? Advertise. Advertise. Email to one or email to many? Email to many. Email to one. Social email to many that make email subscriber. Like <laughs> oh, email subscriber for sure. Social yeah. subscriber, email subscriber. Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? That's a hard one. Localized global. Oh, oh we get to say both. We have both. both. <laughs> no, you do. <laughs> I think it was paid search or SEO where the major disagreement came in. So one of you definitively SEO, one of you paid search. Why is that? So honestly, I love both. Normally what I'd do is I'd roll out a PPC campaign to start with, kind of look at traction, look at keywords, and then roll into SEO um, once you kind of see what what's working. But um, SEO is just cheaper in the long run, more sustainable. The ROI is typically uh, better when you can comp when you compare the two. Do you think that in the long term you still need both or can you get to a stage where just SEO will suffice? I think it's always useful to have both turned on. I looked at a study recently where they looked at people who ranked 
and they looked at people who were number one, so rank number one in, in organic, rank number one in paid. Let's say if you rank number one in organic and the click-through rate's one in 10, um, and then you rank number one in paid separately, and that's one in 10, they, they saw that if you rank number one in both, you didn't just um, double the um, click-through rate, it, it accumulates. So it's instead of say two in 10, it's four in 10, because you've got that brand kind of omnipresence. Um, so I think it's useful to have both. I mean, PPC is always useful as well for brand protection, bidding on your own brand, experimentation, getting fast results. So generally speaking, I would, I would, I would say both, but I think SEO is definitely the long-term sustainable play. Great. Yeah, I like how you use generally speaking because obviously you have to uh, test and learn um, and everything could be different for your business compared with other businesses out there as well. So um, don't right. spend money unless it actually brings you a good result yeah right i mean yeah the worst thing you could do is say dedicate six months to seo um having not seen that the keywords are actually money-making keywords right so ppc yeah. is just killer for that the ten thousand dollar question so if i was to give you both or individually what shall i do both in <laughs> to give you ten thousand dollars and you had to spend over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business what would you spend it on and how would you measure success a single thing single thing i know what i would do are we answering individually or together you can you can go first all right so we have a little trick where remember those buyer personas we talked about um sure. where we take the buyer personas on the vertical column and then put the the buyer journey or the funnel on the left column and try to figure out what content is required for each persona at each stage of the buyer journey i would take ten thousand dollars and create content such that i had good content for each persona at each stage of the funnel because that's something that I could use really effectively. And I'd love to start a project having amazing content that's funnel focused and persona based. And I would measure um, ultimately by uh, um, a, an important revenue driving conversion to businesses like a lead or a sale. So the, the thing that's working really well for us at the moment is, is content plus the kind of paid distribution of the content. Content works really well for SEO, but also uh, kind of the inbound um, engagement um, and the Facebook advertising on the paid distribution and to get the new targeted audiences that we want to see. Given that we have already got some great content on our blog, we've got some kind of lead bait set up and uh, some white papers and um, good blog posts, I would I would probably just take that $10,000 and spend it on distribution for some existing blog posts that's performing the best. I thought you were going to say spend it down the pub or something, but no, okay, yeah. that's the distribution, I get that. That's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that just about takes us up to... My number one takeaway. So um, you've offered some great advice, uh, gents, in the uh, conversation so far, but can you distill it down to, to one takeaway? So what's the single most important step that our listeners just need to do just to to take away an action within their own businesses? So I work with a ton of startups and I have for a long time. I mentored some accelerators like Techstars and 500 Startups and some of the like the bigger North American accelerators. So I, I get to be in a lucky position to see a lot of startups and follow their success. And I spend a lot of time thinking about like what do these things have in common? What are the big lessons we can take away from seeing so many interesting startups? And the thing that I came to the conclusion of is that um, too many founders think by selecting a niche to nail at the beginning, they're limiting their business. When really, by selecting a niche to nail at the beginning, they're setting their business up for future success. So a couple ways to look at that. The first is like a video game. 
I think startups are like a video game and you have to pass each level concurrently to set you up for the next level. You can't just go and save the princess on level one. There's a whole bunch of things you need to do to get to that stage. And one of them is picking that first group of people who you're going to sell to, these early adopters. Um, and the bigger your audience, counterintuitively, the bigger your audience, the more it's important to nail a niche. I had a video cooking show, and I was like, well, 50 million people in the States cook. Just push it out there and, and, and figure out who's going to use it versus maybe this video cooking school is good for people who aspire to go to expensive cooking school but want to first make sure that they're into it and they really like it. So maybe that's the niche we should start at. It doesn't mean that I'm going to limit it to them or not go after the 50 million home cooks. It just means that the best way to ensure future success is to have one niche that really loves your product and is willing to talk about it. So my one advice would be to pick a small niche to nail at the beginning and trust that that's going to lead to bigger things down the road. Okay, so just because you pick a small niche, you're not limiting your business to just focus on that niche for the long term. You can quite easily well, was, uh, add additional niches or bro. What, what was Zuckerberg's first niche, like when he started Facebook? Well, uh, colleges, yeah, students. Yeah, it was like Harvard people mm -hmm. to meet girls. Yeah. Like, I, I assume okay. at that point he had some inkling towards world domination, but he realized that starting it at, at, at Ivy League schools for something as basic as like meeting people, he, you know, he even described it to that old site, Am I Hot or Not, where people used to like rape photos for hours at a time. Mm. You know, yeah. I feel like he thought that, that by creating something that you needed an EDU account and it needed to be Ivy League, that if he won that niche, it would help him expand to other ones. And he did that very successfully. That's a good example. And uh, there's not much I can say in response to that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the Facebook <laughs> trump card. <laughs> <laughs> what about your, uh, yourself, Peter? Any other kind of last takeaway you'd want to add your, to yourself personally? Yeah, I mean, I would just say um, as much as possible, uh, simplify things and focus on your you know, key metric. I mean, at, Ab at Abacus, we try and get our clients to tell us what their most important KPI is and then we do everything we can to to hit that too often people have like they want to get more traffic and more you know impressions they want to do this and get more reach but we really try and boil it down to what's the key metric that's going to really move the you know, move the dial for your for your business and then we we focus on that so simplify and track and why that's really important is because the AI with Facebook, the algorithm, is going to try to reverse engineer the objective that you tell it at, at the price that you tell them you're interested in, in getting the conversion for. So if you get that piece right, everything below goes um, Pete Tong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Pete Tong, I reckon that takes us up to the end of our discussion today. So um, thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the, the best way for a listener to find out more about you and what you do? So probably the best place is our website, abacus.agency. Simple enough. Um, superb stuff. Well, um, cool. yeah. And thanks again for coming on. Thanks so, um, yeah. Um, Peter and Jeff, great. Um, um, uh, if, if you'd like to, um, dear listener, if you'd like to um, share your opinion of what uh, Peter and Jeff shared today, tell us what you think. So you can do that on the Facebook page. That's um, facebook.com slash digitalmarketingradio. You can tweet me at David Bain. And um, remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. So you can do that at digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes for iPhones or digitalmarketingradio.com for Android devices. But until we meet again... 
be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios.